We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Her Hoop Stats podcast, Unplugged. If you haven't joined us before, we're the more lo-fi counterpart to the Monday version of our podcast hosted by John Little. And this week he had Kathy Engelbert, the new WNBA commissioner on the phone or on the podcast. So you should definitely take, check that out. Um, and as always, I'm Megan Gower. And this week I have Her Hoop Stats team member Calvin Wetzel on the phone with me. Hey, Calvin. Hey, Megan. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Glad to be joining you this week. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's always good to get some new faces from the team onto the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. So yeah, we're in a pretty busy time for the WNBA. We've had a second round this weekend, first round of the semifinals series yesterday. We've got more semifinals games tomorrow, and the season awards are coming out. So a lot going on, a lot to talk about. Um, I definitely want to get into yesterday's semifinal games, but we should start off with Sunday's games, being those happen first. Any like immediate reactions to Sunday's games between Seattle and LA or between Chicago and Vegas? Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like <laughs> we talk about <laughs> Sunday's games, probably spend most of the time talking about that second game because, I mean, that was that was unbelievable. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that game. But, I mean, Seattle and LA was just interesting to me from the standpoint of those were the only two teams left out of the six at that point that had ever won a championship. So it's, it's just kind of interesting that uh, a lot of fresh faces in terms of you know, teams that have been around for 15, 20 years and haven't won a title and probably going to get a new champion this year. But that second game, I mean, that was as a Sky fan, that was a that was heartbreaking. But as just a basketball fan, that was I mean, it was exhilarating, like the whole game, not even just the end, the whole, you know, start to finish. There were 
buzzer beaters at the end of the first, at the end of the third. It was it was incredible. Yeah, definitely. Like what you like to see from playoff basketball should be on the edge of your seat the whole time. But yeah, can't not talk about that shot at the end from Dierka Hamby um, off the steal, off the kind of pretty, um, what would you say, like risky pass from Vandersloot at the end, which was kind of surprising. Um, but what a heave <laughs> for that to go in is kind of crazy to win or to move on for them. So that was an awesome for Vegas. Sad for Sky fans like you. Um, but definitely uh, an exciting ending to a playoff game for sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, as much as it, you know, as a Sky fan, it, it kind of hurt at the same time. Like, you just have to appreciate how, I mean, just, I don't even know the right word, but just kind of one of those games that we're going to remember like 10 years from now in the same way people talk about, you know, like the shot by Weatherspoon, um, was it 99? Like, yeah. I mean, Dierka Hamby is going to be talked about forever. And I mean, I still just kind of have to appreciate just how big of a moment that is, you know, for the league. I mean, it was the number one top play on SportsCenter, so. <laughs> yeah, always great to see the W getting some representation on the top 10 there, especially at the very top. But yeah, incredible play for her. Definitely something that's going to go down in the WNBA history books and a pretty big day for her in general. She won WNBA sixth woman of the year and then finished it off with that shot so pretty incredible day for her on Sunday yeah absolutely and I mean people are going to remember that you know she like made a super questionable decision and kind of got lucky that it went in <laughs> but I mean she played really really well for like 39.9 minutes too I mean like I mentioned in the, the first quarter she had that steal and score basically gave the aces four points in the, or uh, yeah four points in the last two seconds of the quarter um I mean she just like came out and she's known as a hustler just come out and you know beat everyone down the floor and just grind and work hard and I mean she did that I mean to the extreme yeah definitely she finished I think with 17 points it was like 67 percent from the floor so definitely an impressive game um yeah hustling Especially, he's got like four rebounds, five assists, a couple steals to go along with those points too. So impressive game from her. Um, but yeah, the questionable timing. I think there was still like four seconds left on the clock when she got the ball, which I think I saw a pretty funny meme on Twitter that was like from the, was it last year, the Cavs game in the, or maybe it was two years ago, the Cavs game in the um NBA finals where like J.R. Smith was like not aware of the clock at all and missed the shot and then LeBron's like what's going on um but she made it so it doesn't really matter but yeah like yeah. definitely reminiscent of that moment like pretty high stakes you know playoff game lack of lack of awareness about the score the time you know or whatever the case but and I mean not only that but she had I think it was Kelsey Plum, like wide open underneath the basket. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, would have just tied it. So, I guess because it went <laughs> in, it was the right decision. But <laughs> I mean, it worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah. And then the Aces had another close game yesterday as well. We can jump right into that one and come back to Connecticut and L.A. afterwards. But again, you know, ended on a buzzer beater shot from Kelsey Plum, which didn't go in last night. 
oh, definitely a questionable lack of foul call um, there. I think there was a video you could see Elena Del Don mouthing afterwards, not like she did foul her, but they really? got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I saw saw that video. Um, well, yeah, it's from a, like the Washington like high five one. I think after the game, you can see that Del Don's like, yeah, I followed her, but. <laughs> oh, um, no one called it, so I guess nothing they can do about that. So Washington picked up the narrow lead in game one there. Um, but that was an awesome game last night, too, just back and forth the whole game. Um, a lot of great play from both sides. Definitely what you like to see in a start of a semifinal series. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, this is going to sound pretty dumb now that, you know, you just said that. Um, thing about Elena Deladon just kind of admitting that she fouled, but I was actually going to say that I didn't even think that that was necessarily the biggest thing that the refs kind of messed up in the last few seconds. I thought it was kind of a 50-50, and I mean, it could have been a foul, but it didn't seem like as obvious to me as maybe a lot of people were saying, but um, I mean, (laughs) if Aces fans are listening, you can send me some hate mail about that, I guess, (laughs) but what I thought was the bigger issue that the refs had in the last few minutes was the timeout, you know, like Bill Lambeer just screaming for it for the whole kind of last three seconds and didn't get it. And I mean, I don't know if they really did just not hear it or I mean, what the deal was, but I mean, he came out today and said he thinks it was intentional. That's, that's a bold claim, but I mean, I don't know at the same time in that situation as a ref, you, you would think that you would kind of know, when Washington is kind of dribbling out the clock on their last possession, and there's like a three, four second differential between uh, shot clock and game clock. Like, I think most of us are probably thinking in our minds when the aces get the ball back, they're likely to call a timeout. So like, I would think the refs would be looking for it. So, I mean, I honestly, I thought that was the bigger kind of officiating issue to end the game. No, definitely agreed. I think as a ref, you should probably be expecting that timeout call on that play. I mean, three seconds left, four seconds left. You want to advance the ball. You want to, I don't know. Yeah, I was very surprised too by that. Um, I saw some similar things on Twitter today about how um, Bill Lambert thinks it might have been intentional, which hopefully it wasn't. But um, yeah, definitely a disappointing for such a key possession. And especially in the playoffs where really every possession pretty much matters the way these games are coming down to the wire. Um so, yeah, that um, timeout call was definitely questionable as well. Also, the lack of foul at the end. So kind of some key decisions from the, by the refs to close out that game. But otherwise, I think it was, you know, on Washington's side, maybe not their best offensive performance of the season. I think we're so accustomed to seeing Washington's offense, like, operate basically like a machine. Um, and while they still scored 97 points last night, which is impressive, um, it didn't seem that they were flowing like they usually do uh, last night. Might just be some effects of being out for off for a couple of weeks while everyone else was playing, um, or this uh, Christy Tolliver kind of fitting her way back in the lineup after being out for a while. But definitely interested to see if tomorrow when they play, um, the kind of offense gets back to that flow. I think it's going to be important for them, especially because they're not that strong defensively. So... Uh, they're really going to need to rely on their offense to get past the aces in the series. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you you hit it like the the Mystics might have come out a little bit rusty, the nine nine day lay uh, layoff, and 
I mean, that has to be so demoralizing for the Aces if you think about, like, heavy underdogs. Like, everyone's picking the Mystics. The Mystics had a historic season. And you come in there, go toe-to-toe with them, you know, for 40 minutes. You're right there at the end in between, you know, the officiating, the, the timeout, and the, you know, maybe questionable foul call. Like, you miss an opportunity where you're right there with the Mystics. And, I mean, you're probably not going to catch them on a night where they come out, you know, that slow. I mean, obviously, Emma Mieseman came out, you know, great. But a lot of the kind of other players didn't, you know, didn't come right out of the gate um, strong. So, I mean, who knows if you're going to get that opportunity again if you're, uh, if you're the Aces. And I think that just, I mean, it'll be interesting to see like going forward in the series, if they kind of like pick themselves up from that just emotionally and kind of come out, you know, ready to play still in game two, game three, or if that kind of just, um, you know, really puts a dagger in kind of their, uh, their morale going forward. Yeah, definitely. It kind of seems like the chance to pick up game one on the road, which would have been a really huge win for them kind of just slipped away in those last like few minutes there. Um, so definitely a demoralizing win or loss for the Aces, um, but definitely probably a good booster for the Mystics, even though they were a little rusty and didn't have their best offensive performance to still come out of last night with the win um, and take game one and not be heading out on the road after um, tomorrow's game with that loss from game one underneath them. Of course, they still have to win tomorrow, but um should definitely be a, a morale booster to get that win for the Mystics. Yeah, in fact, too, we should probably just mention how, I mean, the big four from the Aces, I mean, they all played incredibly. Like, none of them had an off night. They came out and played, you know, collectively one of their best games of the season. And for it still to end up in a loss is just, I mean, that has to be tough, so... It'll be, you know, it'll be a big job for Bill Ambeer to kind of pick his players up and say, you know, like, we're all right. Like, that that wasn't a wasted effort. Like, we can take something away from this game and, and uh, you know, keep that motivation going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, agreed. Big night from all their key players there. Asia Wilson had 23, Liz Cambage 19, Kayla McBride 19, and then Kelsey Plum 16. Um, Kelsey Plum has just been playing incredible the last few games for them. It's definitely been fun to watch her, kind of more reminiscent of the way she used to play, I think, when she was in college and was a star at Washington. So that's been a lot of fun to watch as well. Um, but yeah, definitely hard for them to come off of that with such great performances and still not getting the win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then on the flip side, Connecticut and LA was another one that went not as quite down to the wire as the Washington uh, Aces game, but still was back and forth all game long. Like some kind of grabbed it in the last final couple minutes there, but until that point it was back and forth for most of the night. Um, I thought the interestingest thing there for me was just like the difference between the guard play on each side I think both teams their front courts had great nights you had a great night from Melissa Thomas which we could come back to and John Carl Jones on the Connecticut side and then obviously great play as always from Neka Gumake and Candace Parker for the Sparks 
but Connecticut's guards really stepped it up. Jasmine Thomas had like 19 points and then Courtney Williams had 15 where the guards for LA were really quiet on um, last night, which didn't really help them. Um, and I think it's probably the biggest factor into why they couldn't get a win last night. Um, so it'll definitely be interesting to see how they progress with that tomorrow night, how they can get Chelsea Gray and Ricardo Williams more involved. Um, they combined for just six points last night, so not a great performance from their guards. Yeah, and I think, um, like, Connecticut's defense obviously deserves a ton of credit for that. You know, the way they kind of defended, especially Chelsea Gray on ball screens, trapping her and just kind of making her uncomfortable. But I also think I uh, actually didn't get to watch the game live, so I kind of went back and watched it today just, you know, looking for kind of what some of the keys to the game. And it looked like the Sparks were settling for a lot of jumpers at certain stretches rather than trying to kind of attack and get to the rim. And those were kind of the stretches where the sun went on a run. And then there were other stretches where the Sparks really did try to get the ball in the paint, score around the rim. And those were the stretches where they went on a run. I actually, <laughs> where uh, her hoop stats were all about the numbers, right? So I had to count up some numbers here just to back up the point. But the first nine shots for the Sparks in the first quarter, eight of them were jump shots, either threes or long two-point jumpers. And then the uh, first nine shots in the second quarter, only two of them were jump shots. And then the first quarter, the Sparks only scored 14 points. They were down 21 to 14. They outscored that. They scored 15 points in basically the first half of the second quarter, like first 530 or so. And, I mean, I think that's a big key. Why? Like, I know John Quill Jones back there is like, She's one of the leading, if not, maybe she was the league-leading shot blocker. So, I mean, you have one rim protector back there. But other than her, I mean, you basically have three guards. And then Alyssa Thomas, as good as she is, like she's playing with two torn labrums, which is incredible. But can't lift her arms up above her head, right? So, I mean, she's not really blocking any shots. So, I mean, John Quill Jones can only guard one person. I mean, if... When you have NECA and Cheney on the court or NECA and Candace, I mean, they always have two of those three on the court. Like, one of them should be able to get in the paint, either that or Chelsea Gray get to the rim. And I think that was the stretches where they were able to do that were kind of when the Sparks were at their best last night. So I'll be interested to see if they can kind of focus on that more going forward, if they stop settling for as many jumpers or or if um if Connecticut kind of adjusts to that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an important part for the Sparks. They have such a strong presence and such star power in the paint with NECA and Cheney and then Candace Parker as well. So if they can get the ball in the paint, they're probably going to be a lot more successful than taking kind of those mid-range jumpers, which aren't as effective for them. Um, so yeah, I think that's a very important point going forward. I think another thing for the um son is just that like if Alyssa Thomas keeps playing like that even with her two torn labrums it's going to be pretty hard to beat them it was a pretty impressive impressive night from her I think um she just did a little bit of everything from them had a double double a few assists and steals to go along with that her defensive play was incredible last night um and I think that's a good thing for them going forward I think 
One thing that can be an issue for this one going forward, though, is definitely their bench production. They only had five points off the bench last night, really not that many minutes off the bench either. Um, so I feel like their production definitely goes down in the case that one of their starters gets into foul trouble or if they have any, God forbid, they have any injuries. Um, it could definitely get them in some trouble in this series with their just kind of lack of bench production. Yeah, that's a really good point you bring up. I was actually going to bring that up too because, I mean, that's another um, just kind of going back to pounding it in, getting it into the paint. The Sun have such a disparity between their starting lineup and their bench just in terms of production that, I mean, you really want to make the Sun play without all five starters. All five starters are as good as anyone in the league, really. But as soon as you get into their bench, that's when you can really get to them. And of course, I had to look up this number too if I was going to talk about it. So last night, when all five Sun starters were on the court, they played or they uh, outscored the Sparks 60 to 33. And when at least one bench player was on the court for the Sun, the Sparks outscored them 42 to 24, which is like <laughs> such a huge disparity. I mean, it's incredible. And if you settle for jumpers, I mean, you're going to be playing against the five starters all night because none of them are going to get in foul trouble. I mean, Alyssa Thomas had five because she had a couple, you know, on the floor. But other than that, I mean, the rest of the starting lineup only had two or three. I mean, if you want to get to their bench, you have to start getting some people in foul trouble. And the only way to do that is going back to, you know, getting the ball into the paint, really scoring around the rim, forcing them to guard you, either guard you without fouling, which is going to give you some easy buckets around the rim, or to foul you, which is going to get them into their bench. Right, exactly. It's a very good point um, going forward for the Sparks. Or for, and if Connecticut moves on for whoever they have to play, but that starting five is of the best in the league. So you don't want to be facing that all game long. So yeah, definitely a bunch of things to look forward to in tomorrow night's game. And then hopefully we'll get some five game series out of these semifinal rounds. Um, definitely from last night's game, I would like to watch four more games of those series. But also last night during the halftime of that first game, we had the draft lottery for next year. So the 2020 uh, draft order was finalized pending any trades obviously but for now um so new york ended up with the first pick dallas with the second indiana with the third and atlanta with the fourth um so those will be the lottery picks in next year's 2020 wnba draft so certainly lots of speculation already about sabrina ionescu going to new york um which i think is an interesting topic i actually tweeted about this last night and got a lot more responses than I would have imagined about how a lot of teams could probably benefit from taking Lauren Cox over Ionescu, um, even though she kind of seems to be the like consensus, like definite first pick. I mean, maybe with New York having that spot now, that makes a lot more sense. But I think those are probably your top two picks in the draft. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's a pretty general consensus of kind of who the top two are and then kind of three on down is more up in the air. A lot of a lot of different people could work their way up to three or four and get into that lottery. But Sabrina and, and Lauren Cox, I think, are definitely in the top yeah, two. I would agree with that. Um, I've seen a lot today. I mean, everyone's already pretty much saying, you know, Sabrina to New York, which I do think, like, New York needs a part, point guard, but they need a lot of things. They need defense. They need – I think they could use someone to help Tina Charles more in the post. 
Um, I do think that like if they do draft Sabrina, you have probably one of the best young backcourts in the league with between her, Asia Durr, and Kia Nurse. Like that's a very strong young backcourt. Not a lot of experience, but definitely good future potential. Though I'm probably alone or not the popular opinion in this that I would like to see them try to maybe you know trade for a more veteran point guard someone with a little bit more experience because that is a really young front court and it's going to take time or really young backcourt and it's going to take time for that to come together and then maybe you do draft someone like Lauren Cox who can help them on the defensive end because they were the last team in defensive rating this year definitely need some help there and then the post so think she would also be a good fit for them and I think they could just use some more experience in that backcourt interesting so do you did you have any kind of potential trades in mind in terms of you know the team you think the Liberty could do a deal with uh for that number one pick or someone who they might be looking to to get back I hadn't given it that much thought yet (laughs) kind of a new thought in my mind but no, I'm trying to think if there's a team that kind of has a you know a point guard that comes in off the bench that might be better fit for a starting role. I don't think like someone like Jordan Canada comes to mind if Subert is healthy, but I don't know that Seattle's willing to give that her up considering Subert's playing d- seasons are probably numbered. Um, so kind of really shaping her into being that starting point guard in Seattle maybe, but definitely I don't know and she's also young so I guess there's not that much experience even though she did play excellently for the storm this year but I just really think that it's gonna take a little while to transition like Asia Durr didn't get that much playing time this year and then Sabrina would be coming fresh from college so I think while people think that Sabrina would be like this automatic improvement for New York I think it's gonna take more time than people realize to kind of adjust to that more physical level of play and kind of different pace of play than in an NCAA. Yeah, I definitely think for a lot of rookies, it takes a lot of time to adjust. Even this year, you look at, I mean, it was such a good rookie class, but I mean, like, Nafisa is really the only one who kind of came out, like, at the top of her game kind of right away. She, I think, scored, what, 27 in her debut um, or something like that. But, I mean, Enrique kind of, she came on so strong, you know, after the All-Star break, but she kind of struggled for the first month or so. Tier McCowan kind of struggled with fouls, didn't couldn't stay on the court a lot, you know, in the first month or two. Like, it's always just an adjustment when you go up to the next level, just in terms of the, the size and the physicality that you have to deal with compared to, you know, who you're playing at the college level. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's always an issue for rookies, but I do think there's just, like, certain types of games that are more accustomed to adjusting quickly um I think yeah Nafisa's game is one of those that's very versatile which makes it easier for her to make an impact off the bat than maybe for other rookies but then she did also change positions so I think it's just a testament to how good of a player Nafisa is to begin with but yeah there's always definitely that learning curve and that adjustment period and I think a lot of people will have really high expectations for Sabrina coming in, which are obviously rightfully deserved, but I think we have to expect that it's going to take some time for her to adjust to that new level of play. Yeah, I think I think Sabrina is going to have to deal with a lot of just kind of the pressure of the expectations just from the standpoint of it's almost like this extra long buildup because she potentially could have been the number one pick this past year and decides to come back to Oregon 
And now, you know, every WNBA fan is like, well, we wait another year for this, you know, transcendent talent to come into the league. And like, when she gets there, everyone's going to kind of have this mindset. We've been waiting for so long. She should be ready. You know, she should be, you know, an all-star right away. And I mean, it's not always how it works, but at the same time, like, if you don't make that trade, I mean, from the Liberty standpoint, I think it would be really hard to pass on Sabrina. I mean, I, I definitely know what you're saying in terms of, you know, Lauren Cox fitting in um, with their team. But like from if nothing else, just from a PR standpoint, I mean, Sabrina is kind of so hyped with all of her triple doubles and just kind of the publicity that she has that like you have to be really sure that I mean if you go with Lauren Cox instead of Sabrina if you pass on her at number one you have to be really sure about it and I think that at the end of the day like if it's a coin flip you know if it comes down to it's really really close 50 50 kind of in the end I think Sabrina might just get the PR nod if nothing else Oh, yeah, I definitely think that's a factor, especially for New York, where they're, you know, kind of playing in the Western County Center right now, which is not the best venue by far. And if they're trying to move to the Barclays Center, just having Sabrina could be enough to kind of push the need to be moving um, to a bigger arena and kind of increase that publicity and ticket sales. So there's definitely that factor there as well. Um, And then, of course, she's also just going to be a fantastic W player once she adjusts to the game. So really not a bad choice obviously at all um and then I do think also Dallas being at number two Lauren Cox is an excellent fit there she'll get to stay close to Baylor but then also um just like they could use the defensive presence and some more um front court talent so she would be an excellent fit for Dallas at that number two pick yeah I was kind of thinking if you're the wings you might actually hope that the Liberty takes Sabrina not that you don't want Sabrina but you have, I mean, when you have Skylar Diggins-Smith coming back and you have Arike already, I mean, your backcourt is pretty set there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brian Agler is a defensive guy. Lauren Cox, Defensive Player of the Year, right? Like, plus, like you said, the, you know, the local, I think it's an hour and a half or so. It's pretty close from Waco to Dallas. So she fits in really well with the Wings. And, I mean, if you're the Wings, I really don't think you're disappointed if you don't get Sabrina, just from the standpoint of how well Lauren Cox would kind of fit in right away with that roster that they have. Agreed. I would definitely would have argued if the Wings had gotten the number one pick that they shouldn't take the Sabrina, that they should take Lauren Cox first or, you know, trade down to get Lauren Cox at second. So I definitely think she's the best fit kind of for them right now. I don't think they need the backcourt talent as much as they need the frontcourt talent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. If the Wings had number one, I mean, we might be having a different different conversation about who's the number one pick. Yeah, definitely. What are your thoughts on, you know, three and four for Indiana and Atlanta? Any kind of initial thoughts? I know we still have a whole season of college basketball to play, so I'm sure these will change drastically by the end of the season. But right now, who would you take at three and four? Yeah, I mean, it's such a wild card that you're probably right. The course of, you know, one season will shake up the whole first round, basically three through 12 potentially. But I mean, right now, one player I really like a lot is uh, Beatrice Montpremier. But I also think that if you're the fever, you can't really take her because 
you already have Tier McCowan, and I mean, that's going to give you some spacing issues if you kind of have two bigs who aren't really able to step outside the three-point line. So I don't think she might have the talent to go number three. I'm not sure if she's the right fit to go number three. Um, but I actually like, and I mean, you might appreciate this being a UConn person. I actually like Dangerfield a lot too. So, um, I'd be interested to see, you know, where she goes. She's another one though, that the fever have Erica Wheeler. So they're not necessarily looking at a point guard. So both of those I think are in contention for the four or the five. The fever are interesting because a lot of the players that are kind of, um, in contention for that, you know, third pick are also players that might not fit uh, with their current roster in terms of positions where they're already set and then their positional needs. So, I mean, do you have any thoughts on who the fever might take? Um, Yeah, that's what I was struggling with because I don't really know. I was trying to identify like in my head what they need and they kind of have a lot at a lot of positions and it's, I don't know, it's hard to tell what they need. I think it was the ESPN mock draft that came out yesterday that had uh, Satu Salvi from Oregon there, which I think is a great fit. Says, will she declare? Who knows at this point? Obviously, um, I think she's one that so she's going to be a junior, but she is eligible to declare. If she chooses so. To be honest, I feel like I'd be kind of surprised if she declares with her sister coming to Oregon this season. It seems like they might want to, you know, stay and play together in her to finish out her time at Oregon. And of course, a lot of that will sure will ride on if you know Oregon wins a championship this year and kind of how that season goes as well. But I think she would be a good fit for the Fever roster. I would also echo what you said about Dangerfield. I think that she has a potential to be kind of a lottery pick next year. I think people don't have her that high right now, but I do think in her, you know, past couple seasons at UConn, she's been a little bit overshadowed by having Katie Lucy Anderson and Nubisa Callier there. But now that a lot of the burden is going to be relying on her more heavily as she's going to be the senior and kind of their. Um, go-to player I think her draft stock could definitely rise quite a bit during this season yeah and it's interesting I mean you bring that up she's going to be taking on a much larger role obviously without Nafisa and Katie Lou there and it'll be interesting to see how in particular her shooting does just from a volume standpoint she I mean she shot really well this past year she's a good shooter but she also you get more open looks when you play with someone like Nafisa Collier or someone like Katie Lou Samuelson. So she's going to have the ball in her hands a lot more. She's going to have a lot more defensive attention. And if anything, her shooting percentages might drop a little bit without actually her. You know, she might still get better as a shooter, and it might not show in the numbers. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how, if that happens, how the WNBA teams kind of view that. Um, but I also do think she has a little bit of Erica Wheeler in her in terms of just a savvy point guard who can, you know, pull up and hit the three, but always makes the right pass as well. And uh, Erica Wheeler's success, you know, a player, a player like that, obviously different in terms of their backstory. Er Erica Wheeler was undrafted and uh, Dangerfield's not going to be undrafted, but um, just in terms of the type of player they are, it'd be interesting to see as well kind of how that pans out when she gets to the league. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think another player that's like an interesting fit for the Fever would be Destiny Slocum as well from Oregon State. Um, I think she's the one that would have to declare early as well, though. <laughs> Keep picking people that might not actually get drafted because they might stay another year. But 
Um, I think her game is another one that's interesting for Indiana. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually looking at that mock draft you mentioned, and there's there's a few juniors in it. You mentioned uh, Slocum and Satu from Oregon. Also, as a side note, Oregon and Oregon State have five out of the 12 in this mock draft, which is, I mean, that's incredible. That rivalry is going to be amazing this year. But also, I mean, I think the juniors in this mock draft on ESPN, which just came out yesterday, if any of our listeners want to go look it up and reference what we're talking about, um, like the juniors seem to be the ones that fit the best with the fever. So if you're the fever, I mean you're probably hoping that at least one of these players does come out early because a lot of the seniors would kind of fill those needs that they already have in place. And some of these juniors are much more suited to play the two, three, four kind of, you know, compliment Erica Wheeler and Tierra McCowan and maybe kind of learn under Candace Dupree for a couple of years before kind of taking over um, that role. Yeah, definitely agreed with that. Um... It'll be interesting to see. Of course, it's way too early to tell who's going to declare, but we'll definitely be interesting to see how that shakes out. And yeah, like you said about Oregon and Oregon State, Pac-12 this year is going to be great, I think. Last year, I mean, they were the Pac-12 is always good women's basketball, but I have to guess that they're probably going to be the best women's basketball conference to watch this year. The couple ACC teams having a little bit of rebuilding years at you know Louisville and Notre Dame. The Pac-12 is going to be great basketball. Yeah, definitely. I know you and I think it was Jen when you you two had your podcast. We're talking about UCLA, UCLA a little bit, um, and we just talked about Oregon, Oregon State. I mean, really, top to bottom, um, the Pac-12 is just one of the probably the best league. I agree with you that there's not going to be another league that quite can compete on the Pac-12's level at least this next year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. They're just pretty strong top to bottom. Uh, UCLA again would be excellent I like love to watch Michaela Onion where she's probably my favorite non-UConn I guess player um, to watch in the NCAA right now I actually got out to LA to watch them play live last year and I think they're just going to be great this year even with the loss of Kennedy Burke so definitely going to be fun to watch again this year yeah absolutely who, who did you see them play last year I saw them play Utah, I think it was, at Poly Pavilion. And then, of course, they played UConn in the Sweet 16. So I saw that game live as well. Um, so I got to actually check them out twice live last year, which was great. Um, so, that, yeah, but strong conference top to bottom. So we'll be exciting to watch. Yeah, and I saw that uh, ESPN's kind of way too early. Top 25 has Oregon as number one, which probably shouldn't be a surprise when the you know preseason eight people comes out that, might look the same as well. So right. Oregon has a lot of hype, and I'm pretty excited for them. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. I'm excited for they're playing at Gamble Pavilion against UConn this year, so excited to finally get to watch Sabrina Pelle in person. It's kind of been a goal while she's been in college, so definitely excited to get to do that this year. Yeah, that's that's really big that they were able to get that game, you know, Sabrina's senior year, <laughs> to come out to UConn especially. Yeah. Um, That'll be, I mean, and you could potentially be seeing, you know, several three, four first round picks. I mean, you could see at least a third of the first round in person in one game. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that game probably 
on everyone's list of college games to watch this year anyway, but definitely kind of the highlight, I think, of my games to watch for the upcoming NCAA season. Yeah, I have it circled as well. I can't wait. I won't be there, but I have it circled for appointment <laughs> television. <laughs> yeah, speaking of TV, <laughs> we like to, you know, always end on something that's not, you know, basketball related, something a little bit fun so everyone can get to know our team a little bit better outside of talking about stats and basketball games. Um, so with, you know, the upcoming short break between WNBA and NCAA season any TV shows on your like binge watching list for that span um I have not watched season three of Stranger Things yet so I'm probably behind 90% of you know America or maybe the world (laughs) but uh, (laughs) that one might be on the list um Some others, I mean, I actually have not watched as much TV in the last, like, five or six months or so, really since I started with her hoop stats, honestly, is kind of, I don't think it's a coincidence, but um, some of my favorites that I have binge watched before, um, well, one of them, I wish I would be able to watch during that break. It usually comes out the new season around September, but this year it's coming out in January or February. It's Criminal Minds. I don't know if you're familiar with that one at all. Um, familiar with it. I didn't realize they still made it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> really, it's, uh, this is their final season. It's season 15. Um, wow. <laughs> it's been around forever. I mean, I got into it like in high school and it wasn't even, I mean, I think it started when I was in middle school, but I kind of discovered it. it was already in season two or three or maybe four. And that was, I mean, that was before Netflix had streaming or anything like that. I mean, I, that was like, I would watch, you know, find it on a TV channel, like on the TV guide that would scroll to wait like five minutes for the right channel to come up, you know, I would have to find it on there or maybe like, I know for a couple of my birthdays, um, I got like the DVD of like season one or season two. And now, I mean, it's crazy that it's kind of spanned those eras, you know, from from that to now, like the Netflix streaming era, and it's still going. So that's what I'm looking forward to. But fortunately, the last season got pushed back a little bit. So won't be able to watch it during the break between uh, the WNBA and college season. Um, but one more that I was going to bring up that not for watching um, coming up, but that I have binge watched a lot. I think I've gone through it like three times is Prison Break. Have you ever seen Prison Break? I have not, so maybe I'll have to add that to my list. I need something to watch. Yeah, that is one of those that if you ever have like four days where you decide, I don't want to sleep, I don't want to eat, I don't want to (laughs) work, I don't want to do anything except watch something, like that's when you watch Prison Break because it's one of those that every episode ends on a giant cliffhanger and you have no idea and you have to watch the next one. It doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m. You still have to do it. So just fair warning. Like it's dangerous, but <laughs> that's kind of one of my all-time favorites. So, yeah. What about you? Do you have any favorites either from like past ones or ones that you're looking forward to maybe, you know, the next couple months sitting down and watching? Um, I'm trying to 
trying to think. I'm still like not over the fact that Game of Thrones is over. So that's still probably one of my favorites. I like started it later than probably most people because most people watched it from the start. But I was one of those can't sleep, can't eat. I <laughs> just watch <laughs> Game of Thrones people when I started watching it. Um, I think I binge watched like so many seasons in like just a couple weeks. <laughs> it was crazy. But that was, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. So I'm upset that that won't be coming back. I know that HBO is coming out with like a prequel. I can't remember when it's coming out. So might have to get into that just to like keep the Game of Thrones fandom going. Um, but yeah, I've like haven't watched as much TV, like you said, since WNBA season or since I started with Turkish Jets because I just watched so much basketball. <laughs> it's hard to find time to watch everything else. Um, one thing I'm excited for, which is like peak like twenty year old, twenty something year old millennial girl, is that Disney announced with their new streaming service that they're like making a Lizzie McGuire reboot with Hilary Duff. <laughs> so I'm extremely excited. Hey, about I can get that. into that too. I'm pretty sure it's a <laughs> marketing ploy to make everyone in our generation buy their streaming service, but it'll work on me. Oh, so. absolutely! I, I loved that movie, that the Lizzie McGuire movie. And I mean, I watched the show some too, but I mean, the movie was. I mean, Disney Channel movie was for our generation in general. We're just oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I grew up on Lizzie McGuire, and I think it's so awesome that they got Hilary Duff to come back for the reboot. So it's like the original cast, which is awesome. I think she's supposed to be like thirty, thirty, and living in New York or something. So it should be pretty relatable anyway. But I'm pretty excited about that one. I think that's like the if you were asking me what the show that I'm most looking forward to is right now, it would be that. Which is funny because I would have answered the same way at like eight or nine. Yeah, some things don't change. (laughs) I will have to check that one out as well. I can uh, can get into all that Disney throwback stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like everything that's coming out lately is just like so many throwbacks with Disney. And then also like the music scene. I just went to see the Jonas Brothers like two weeks ago and I was like, again but i would have wanted to do it age like 12 and now i'm doing it at 25 <laughs> yeah and you <laughs> so. mentioned you got tickets to green day too right in that i mean maybe i'm yeah. just like really out of touch because i'm not like as much into kind of the music scene as maybe most people but i didn't even know green day was kind of still around i was i listened to you know green day and simple plan and those type of bands when i was like 13 or you know however old when they were like kind of at their peak but i mean that's really exciting that you're going to get to go see him. And that just kind of feels like another one of those throwbacks, at least to me. Oh yeah. It's definitely a throwback. The tour is like green day with fallout boy and Weezer. So <laughs> it's like prime middle school throwback. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't really know that green day was still around either. And then I like randomly saw something on, I think it was like Facebook or whatever that they were going on tour. And then my friends and I like found the list and then being the type of person that I am, I like love to travel. So we, naturally booked the tickets for Dublin instead of going in like Boston up the road <laughs> of course why not so <laughs> yeah so going to see Green Day in Dublin in like 10 months from now but <laughs> pretty excited about that yeah definitely all the all the nostalgic vibes <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely it's kind of fun I don't know I like being able to act like a kid kind of again so it's kind of nice to have everything from childhood coming back yeah i think we all do at some level some people some of us might admit it more than others but we all got a little bit of our child self still in us somewhere (laughs) oh yes definitely (laughs) 
Well, it's getting late, so I think we'll wrap it up for tonight. Um, as always, we ask that if you guys are listening on whatever platform you're listening to, make sure to rate, subscribe, review the podcast. It helps more people find us. Um, also, if you have any suggestions, anything you want us to talk about on future episodes, you can email us at podcast at herhoopstats.com. And then you can also find us on Twitter at herhoopstats. We welcome any of your suggestions and we'll definitely talk about anything that you suggest we talk about. So please feel free to reach out. And then if you like the work we're doing here with our articles on our social media, please check out this website, herhoopstats.com. Um, it's just $20 a year to subscribe, and the NCAA season is coming up. It's in less than two months now, so definitely a great site to have access to for all your stats coming up for the season. Thanks, Calvin, for joining me this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.